0: If I have not had a chance to greet you personally this morning, I just want to say good morning to you, and uh, thank you for being here this morning. It's always good to uh, look out and see your smiling faces. And there's a couple of you who never seem to smile, but you're still encouraging to me with your words, and I appreciate that. So welcome. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15. Verse 15. Very, uh, this is in the midst of a very powerful, uh, powerful passage, a passage that for most of my ministry I have steadfastly avoided because I felt myself absolutely inadequate to preach from it. Uh, but lately the Lord has been bringing me back to it time and time again, so we're going to be spending two weeks in, uh, in uh, this portion of Colossians. But This morning we are going to look at Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15. Would you stand please, out of respect for the reading of God's word. We are in the season of Lent, a time of, uh, of reflection, of repentance, of fasting, a time in which we are looking forward to that day in which we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And being on this side of the resurrection, it is very easy for us to focus our attention on Easter Sunday, which is rapidly approaching, and skip over that day that is just a couple days before it, Good Friday. But Paul very intentionally brings our attention in this passage to that first Good Friday. He directs our attention to a hill outside Jerusalem on which there are three crosses, and he draws our attention specifically to the one who hangs on that central cross. We're going to be talking next week about the fact that what is happening there, what what, um, Jesus is doing on that cross, is providing for our redemption. This week, we are going to talk in more detail about who it is who is on that cross. What is happening there? What is going on on that central cross? Well, Paul tells us there was something absolutely remarkable. He tells us that the invisible is becoming visible. The God whom no one has ever seen is now disclosing himself to us. All of human history, every culture has wanted to know what God is like. And so from the earliest days to be human has been to be an idol maker. We have made our own representations of what we believe the deity looks like. And you'll remember that Moses, someone who was probably closer to God than just about anyone else in all of history. Moses said to God, could you at least let me look upon your face? And God said, no, if you gaze upon my face, you will die. But I will let you look at me from behind. And so he placed Moses in the cleft of of a rock, covered his eyes as he passed by. And then after passing by, God took away his hand and allowed Moses to look. And there, Moses had a better more complete picture of God than anyone had ever seen up to that point. But Now, on this central cross, Paul tells us that the veil is taken away and we have the icon, the image of the invisible God. Do you want to know what God is like? The supreme picture that Paul paints for us is hanging on that central cross in the broken, bleeding body of this one we call Jesus of Nazareth. God Almighty. And how does he come? How does he present himself to us? He doesn't come as an angel. He doesn't come as an unapproachable light. He comes as a man. A man like me? No. A man like I'm supposed to be. He comes there in total submission. And that is the image that we are given. Of the God who thus far has been invisible. Now, in this one who is there on that cross, what do we know about him? Paul tells us very clearly that he is the creator of all things. Everything that exists, he made it. The Apostle John tells us that. That through him all things were created and so that apart from him there was nothing created that was created. He is the maker of all things. He is the maker of all people. And he used no material to do it. He simply spoke and it came into existence. Now let's not pass over this too quickly. Consider for a moment. This one who is hanging on this cross, on this hill outside Jerusalem, That hill, he made it. The tree that provided the wood to make the cross, he created that. The iron that was used to form the spikes that the soldier drives into his hands and his feet, he created that. And he made all things, he made all people, so the soldier who drives the spikes into his hands and feet, He made him. And this one who made everything that was created now comes and presents himself to us. But he is not a part of creation because Paul tells us that he is before all things. So when there was nothing but God, he was there. And this one who was there when there was nothing but God The one who created everything has now stepped into creation to make himself known to us. Now he's not only the creator of all things, but he holds all things together. Paul says all things are created by him and through him. He holds it all together. He is the glue that keeps it from falling apart. He is the center, the centripetal force that keeps everything from spinning off into chaos. In fact, he is the one who takes chaos and makes it into cosmos. He holds it all together. Now, not to belabor this point, but that soldier who drives the spikes into his hands and feet, gets the breath that he needs, the strength that he needs to drive one more strike of the hammer by the very indulgence of the one who is being crucified. Everything that is there, is held together by his will. In in Hebrews, we see that he holds all things together through the power of his word. He is the sustainer of it all. And it was all made for him. Paul says all things are created by him, through him, and for him. It was all made for him. All of this was made for him. All of us were made for him, all things, all people. We were created for him, which means everything and everyone finds its fulfillment in him, and him alone. I will never find my fulfillment in you. You will never find your fulfillment in me. You will never find your fulfillment in your job, in your hobby, you won't even find your fulfillment in your church because you were created for him. And in him and him alone, you will find all of your fulfillment. You were created for him. And so this one who existed before there was anything but God, the one who created it all, the one who holds it all together, the one for whom it was all made, has now stepped into creation, makes himself known to his creatures, and submits himself willingly, humbly, sacrificially. And he is the one who is on that central cross. You know, I missed for the longest time the fullness of of the submission of Christ. I read the Gospels for years and I thought that Jesus was the primary actor in the Gospels. And then I started to notice how many times Jesus said, I do nothing of my own initiative. I do only that which the Father directs me to do. I say nothing on my own. I say only that which the Father directs me to say. I do only that which the Spirit empowers me to be able to do. Jesus, the one who is supreme over all, the one who created it all, the one for whom this all exists, comes in absolute (coughs) submission and obedience to his Father. But he also comes in absolute submission to his creatures. There on that cross we see holy love. We see a sacrifice and a sacrifice is nothing new, especially in religions. To be religious is to give sacrifices. People have been doing this from the dawn of time. But I challenge you to find a scene like this in any religion, in anywhere in the world. See, in every other religion, the the, the created offers a sacrifice to the creator in hopes of getting his approval. But here on the Central Cross, the creator offers himself as a sacrifice to his creatures. God at our disposal. God to do with as we please. Do you know why he offers himself as a sacrifice? Because he is who we need. If he was to offer anything else, it would be a false substitute. It would be a false option. He offers himself because we need him. And we find in him such an enemy that the only thing we can think to do is to kill him. It's evidence of our fallenness that when God Almighty shows up, we think he's the devil. And when we encounter the devil, we treat him as God. And so, in this time of Lent, I've been finding myself asking this question. How far did he go? Paul tells us that, that what's happening there is our redemption. And we're going to talk about redemption in much greater detail next week. But I find myself asking, how far did he go for our redemption? And more to the point, how far did he have to go to redeem you and me? Because you see, we, we so often have this concept of uh, of Salvation, redemption, forgiveness, being rather cheap, and rather easy. I'm familiar with that phrase, cheap grace, and I think I understand what it means, and that grace is not anything you and I can ever buy. It's not anything we can ever earn. As far as we are concerned, it is cheap. It is grace that is freely given to us, but don't think for a moment that there was anything cheap or easy or inconsequential about what had to happen in order for you and me to be redeemed. See, somehow in American evangelicalism, we have not quite grasped this fact that when it came time to redeem us, he couldn't do it from the throne. If he could, that cross would not have been necessary. He could create everything from the throne with the word. But when it came time to redeem us, he had to come down. He had to leave heaven, he had to leave heaven's throne, and he had to go to that cross. You'll remember that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus, in anguish, went before the Father and he said, If there is any other way, take this cup from me. If there's any other way to accomplish this, but not my will, yours be done. Do you think if there was any other way, For you and me to be redeemed, he would have gone to that cross. So, how far did he need to go in order to redeem us? This concept should give us a different view of what sin is. Don't ever fall into the trap of thinking about something as being a little white lie or a a little sin a tiny sin. Don't ever get into the trap of comparing your sin to somebody else's. Every sin, every one has such incredible consequences that it took the author and creator of all things to leave all of that in order to reach you and me. How far did he have to go? This morning I know for a fact, no matter where you are, you fall into one of two camps. You've either been redeemed or you have not. If you have not, if you have not yet experienced that redemption, if you don't yet know what it's like to have your sins forgiven, consider for a moment what he did for you. A couple of weeks ago, I was in a meeting in my office at the Global Ministry Center, and I got a text message from one of our general superintendents. And he said, I need to meet with you. And I responded back and I said, "Um, uh, I'm in a meeting. Um, Is it important? He said, Yes, right now. I said, I will be right there. And he responded back, he said, I'm waiting in your office. I immediately started fasting and praying. I figured that if there was something going on that was so important that a general superintendent was pulling me out of a meeting and beyond that was so important that he wasn't waiting for me to come to him, but he was coming to me. Somebody was in trouble and I was praying it wasn't me. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ didn't just walk across the Global Ministry Center and wait in an office. He left heaven. He left heaven's throne. He left behind everything to which he was entitled to. He came here in absolute service to you. And so if you do not yet know what it's like to be redeemed, if you have not yet experienced his forgiveness, can I just tell you that whatever redemption means, whatever forgiveness means, if it's that important that he went that far don't you think you really ought to pay attention to it? That maybe you ought to inquire about it a little bit more, maybe be open to it, because if it's so important that he had to go that far for you, I think he wants you to be redeemed. Now, perhaps your testimony would be Mike, I know what it's like to be redeemed. My sins have been forgiven. I've been transformed, I've been free not only from the penalty of my sins, I've been freed from sin itself. And what response can there be to that other than praise God forever? But I need to ask you, if redemption was that important, they required him to come that far for you to be redeemed. If he went that far, then how far are you willing to go for him? You will never go even a fraction as far as where he has already gone for you. What is he calling you to do? Where is he calling you to go? What is he speaking to you about? As far as he was willing to go for you, how far are you willing to go for him? I don't know about you. I I work throughout the week. This This is my second job. And I don't even really have to work at it too hard because we have people like Pastor Jody who just do an amazing amount for, uh, what do we give you, a Jelly of the Month Club subscription (laughs) as payment? You have an amazing pastor in Pastor Jody, by the way. And anyone who knows me will know that I don't throw compliments around easily. But I know what it's like to, to come to the weekend to be tired. I know what it's like to come to the end of the day and be tired. And I just want to crash. I just want to relax. And sometimes I'm so tired that my eyes close. Not just my eyelids, my spiritual eyes. And I miss the fact that the people around me don't know what redemption is. Sometimes I'm I'm so tired that I I close my eyes to the fact that there are people around me who are hurting. People around me who, who have no hope People around me who just have no idea of what it is like to be redeemed. And I think, well, I'm entitled to a break. And then I remember how far he went. How far he went. i got to tell you, if, if I jump to my feet and run, at the words of a general superintendent, as important as that is, what, do, what should I be doing when my Lord and Savior says, Go. Make disciples. Go, make disciples. Go, make disciples. When my Lord and Savior says, Come, follow me. Come, follow me. Come, follow me. It's a temptation for us to look at the cross as something that is behind us. And in a sense, that is true. Jesus accomplished our redemption that day, over 2,000 years ago. But you know the first time he talked about a cross, it wasn't one for him It was a cross for you and me. He said, if anyone will be my disciple, they must pick up their cross and follow me. So the cross for you and me is right now. If it is your testimony that he has redeemed you, it is your testimony that he has forgiven you, there was a cross for him, there is one for you, and there is one for me. How far are you willing to go for this one who went so far to get you. We come now to this concluding time, and we're going to do it similar to the way we did last week. It will be a time of prayer. It may be that the Lord is speaking to you now and would like you to come and talk things over with him up here at the altar. If so, the altar is open right now. It may be that he would like to He would like you to spend some time talking with the person next to you in a time of confession, a time of repentance, or a time of encouragement. It may be that there would be someone here today who says, you know, I do not yet know what it's like to have my sins forgiven, but I'm very, very interested in what I'm hearing. If you'd like to pray through with that and accept Jesus as your Savior, I would love to have that conversation with you and Pastor Dennis would love to have that conversation with you as well. So let's spend this time